so much in the neutral zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. I am your host, Kareen, joined as ever by Kim. Hello. And Ari. Hello. And this is season two, episode 11, Friday's Child, or as I like to call it, Fashionista Fight Club. Yay! <laughs> this episode, <laughs> yes, is simultaneously the greatest and worst episode of television I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I agree. That is, like, my exact description of it. It is amazing <laughs> and so terrible. It's also our 40th episode. Hey! Yeah. Happy... 40th anniversary? Silver? Platinum? I think it has Paper? to be years. No, like if you're married for forty years, you get a thing. Paper, I know paper is is the first anniversary. Okay, so we've still disposable, recyclable. Jesus, (laughs) that is grim. So we've moved past paper. We're into gold press latinum. Sure. Sure. See what I did there. Yeah, this episode I have a lot of opinions about. I think we can all admit that. This is crazy. (laughs) It's very crazy. It is straight up wonderfully crazy in the way that Star Trek and early science fiction can be. Um, But it is also the worst. And I would like to start a movement right here, right now. Let it be known whenever we recorded this, July 15th? 14th. 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 Okay, take it back, people. Recording your calendars. July 14th is the day that Crane starts the movement to impeach Scotty. (gasps) Really? Yeah. That's your big note about this episode? Let's impeach Scotty? Yes. I mean, he didn't make some great decisions. He made no good decision. Scotty should be stripped of his command, possibly his shirt, (laughs) and drummed back into the academy because he is a terrible captain. Well, he's not captain. No, he takes command, so he is technical, like, at the time, captain, but I'm saying he should be impeached. I'm saying that he should be hauled up in front of Starfleet in the way that Kirk was when they thought he accidentally murdered someone, and that Scotty should have to face what he has done in a court of criminal law. Doom doom. Okay. I don't agree, but okay. Really? I think, okay, he should have come back earlier. Yeah. I don't think he should have, like, there's the one scene where he... He's like, let's, uh, this is probably fake, but let's continue the search anyway. No, they should have just turned around and come back then. But other than that... No, I'm saying that this episode is a beautiful case in criminality, both on Scotty's part of criminal negligence, and of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy of violating the Prime Directive. Violating it repeatedly, and with great abandon. Who's going to argue with me? Friggin' no one. This is crazy. I I don't have this vehemence that you have. I don't know that they violated the Prime Directive. So this is a primitive, a very, very primitive. They have knives, but somehow have not heard of bow and arrows. There's lots of cultures that never developed a bow and arrow. But everyone started with it. At this no, everyone point, started with pokey sticks. Rocks. We don't know what led them, because at this point they have an existing treaty with the Federation. We have no idea what led to them knowing about space travel. Maybe they have space travel and they're just like, eh, it's boring, let's stay on our planet That's, and kill stuff. They didn't need bows and arrows, they had those knifey They had discuses. Yeah. Discuses. They had a different ranged weapon. That's actually not crazy. They had knife discuses. They work at a great distance. They don't you know what also works? Bows and arrows or spears. I have to say, for the way those bows and arrows were constructed, they <laughs> shot far too straightly they and did. way too well. Which leads me to my other question is, do they teach archery at Starfleet Academy? They must. I bet it's an elective. <laughs> um, there's actually a scene in an episode of Voyager where they're stranded on a planet, and Tuvok is starting to construct a bow and arrow. And Chakotay, who is a Native American, is like, oh no, Tuvok, my people didn't use bow and arrows. And Tuvok's like, it's for me. I learned this somewhere. I'm a great shot. <laughs> I like the idea that just making arrows and bows is just like Vulcan boyhood, normal they development They don't have any thing. trees. No, it doesn't do have, like, wood and stuff. They there just are don't no have... trees in Vulcan. I've not seen a tree on Vulcan. Regardless be, of the point. To be fair, though, we have only been to, like, the one marriage Courtyard arena. arena. <laughs> yeah. Marriage, marriage arena. battle arena. 
slash outdoor sex slash, chamber. Slash being the operative term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, Kirk and Spock are amazing shots. Yeah. Uh, yes. We took... Collectively, we all took a archery class. Yeah, that yeah. was amazing. So um, raise your hand if you think that those bows and arrows would do dick all. We all have our hands Three up. hands. <laughs> yeah, three hands. If you can't hear them, they're up in the air. That's the sound that three hands going up in the air very quickly means. This is, again, like an absurd episode. It's so crazy. So it's very crazy. They are attempting to get mining nonsense. Again, always with that ore. Gotta have that metal. And it's different ore this time. They just keep making up new ridiculous sounding names for imaginary space ore. This one is, like, this season I feel like is a lot more colonial in that they're essentially finding the people that they need the rocks from and being like, hey, tradesy, like, hospitals for your fancy rocks? Um, I I don't understand how they came into contact with these people. They're, like, seven feet tall. Highly dangerous, giant ponytails, and platform shoes. Yeah. Yeah. They are, I'm going to say, like, quasi-Mongolian, as They're I sort of like say. Mongolians crossed with Vikings. Yeah, that's exactly the way I would have thought of it. Like, yeah, like, Mongolian got, Vikings. Yeah, because they've got, like, the sort of Hollywood-Mongolian aesthetic with, like, the weird headdresses. Oh, would you call and- that Mongolian? Hollywood Mongolian crew. Uh, I think we should turn it over to Kim immediately because oh, yes. Please describe we start with like a slideshow at the staff meeting, which everyone is paying I actually, not very much attention. I liked part of this because it was it's like it's the first detail we get that like uh, anyone other than Kirk has had a career prior to this ship. It's like that uh, Bones spent a few months on Capella. That's the planet's name. Which we're going to call Acapella, which we're also going to call Pitch Perfect. That is fine. Sure, yeah. I can, I can definitely um, get down with calling And we're Pitch watching, Perfect. like, vacation slides of his time on the planet. It's his vacation gifts. It's worse than that. Yeah. It's his vacation <laughs> it's gifts. Uh, yeah. So these people are amazing. They are seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they wear... Solid-colored spandex mm-hmm. with fur trim across their stomach and up over their shoulder in a contrasting color. Spandex. Sorry, I'm laughing so hard. Spandex full head coverings, nun style, like the bit that goes under the wimple, and then giant ponytails coming up the top, like I'm talking Madonna-esque ponytails. You know what they look like? What? They look like My Little Ponies brought yes, to life. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it was! It's the giant ponytails and like the weird hooks because they're all wearing these giant-ass platforms. They shoes. have very furry, elaborate... Furry. Some of them are yeah. furry! Okay, yeah. I want to know what blue beast they hunt for that fur. Because you know it's like... What you do is a rite of passage to become a man on Capella. You hunt the blue whatever the hell it is. The blue fufflewinkle. Their outfits were just like <laughs> insane. Oh, they were and so like, crazy. The, um, the leader of the rebel faction did not have a ponytail. He just had like he was like had his like spandex, and then he was wearing like a black black like round flat flat top cap thing on top of it with just hair. It was crazy, man. No, it's actually worse because I don't think the headdress parts were spandex because they wouldn't have had that much structure if they were. Someone actually had to piece that shit together from, like, brocade or something. Yeah. It's even crazier. Yeah. What poor bastard in the wardrobe department. Yeah. So, it makes no sense how these people are, how they have came to be. They're also wearing, Where did they like, get the spandex from? I trim. really want to know this. They have spandex trees. It's almost like, you know, in the hockey games where they have those people that are all covered in green... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like that. They just cut the head out. Yeah, and then man. put more the, yes, it's exactly the morph suits. What it is. Yeah, the morph suits. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's exactly that. These people are amazing. <laughs> and so it essentially starts with McCoy's Hollywood gift set. Yeah. Not Hollywood gift set. I wish. His gift set of his time spent on Planet Pitch Perfect, talking about how these people are like seven foot tall. They're highly dangerous. They're, They're bad strong. news. Uh, okay, why are they wearing that much paper in a desert? Maybe it's a cold desert. They do exist. Or like you said, it's ceremonial because this is what I killed. Watch me pin it to myself. Yeah. Or it's not as hot as it looks. Because, like, I mean, the things we get about their culture is that they're warlike. I, no, they're, they're not warlike. They are warriors. War. war. They are war. Yeah. They're they like, like fighting. But they're also, like, very honest and they yeah. appreciate honesty. That comes and goes. It well, does. He's 
Bobone says that he describes them as unusually honest. Like he seems to respect them. Like he spent some time with them. He's and Kirk <gasps> repeatedly refers to them, I mean, somewhat sarcastically, because he's a little overrun at the time as your friends. So I would love to hear the background as to why the Federation was like in bed with these guys. I mean, obviously, other than the fact that they're seven foot tall warrior men and stacked for days. They have rocks. They have special rocks. Yeah, but why would you contact them? You're not supposed to contact people who are primitive, primitive, quote unquote, what? Pre-warp. Pre-warp civilizations. Doesn't, just because they're pre-warp doesn't mean they don't know. They may, uh, like, they're also pre-warp. The, the, the pre-warp stipulation doesn't come into effect until much later, at least not explicitly. So we don't actually know what the standards are for contacting pre-warp civilizations. Yeah, and because whatever. we have no background on these people, maybe they've always known that they've always traded with other alien civilizations. And they just have no desire to go into space themselves, or I don't know. There's no, we have no context, but we, what we do come into this knowing is that there's a pre-existing treaty with the Federation, yeah. and they're there to renegotiate. And the Klingons are just a wrinkle that have shown up. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> a forehead wrinkle, Kim. Yes, yes, a forehead wrinkle. So, like, we have absolutely. You keep saying they've they've violated the prime directive, but no, they haven't at this point because I don't believe it. Because there's a pre-existing. Contact. They clearly were already in contact with other races before this, so I'm not sure. We don't actually know for a fact that the prime directive applies. Like, there are other examples in Star Trek canon where technically pure civilizations are aware of the greater galaxy and civilization and space travel, just don't do it themselves. So. Bones essentially spent a semester abroad with yeah, these people, yeah, studying vacation. them and trying to convince them that medicine was not a crime. Well, mm. I mean, this is the one of the things we hear. This was probably part of the trade. Is they yeah. got up and one of the things they were supposed to do was set up hospitals and provide medication. So, like they, said, they were not interested. Though. Sent bones. They weren't interested. I think that's very interesting. Like they subscribed to the wounded gazelle theory of medicine. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you got sick. Eh. Maybe you shouldn't have. So they don't see any point in medicine. They nope. don't see any point in hospitals. Because the strong survive. The strong survive. So they've taken, like, Darwinism to a place. And, you know, <laughs> quite honestly, it's been working for them because they're all seven foot tall and stacked. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. And so they're going to beam down a landing party to do some negotiations. They're going to do a small landing party of <laughs> Spock, McCoy, Kirk, and some guy. And so not long for this world. It's Dutch. And they think about maybe <laughs> maybe we should come down at, with a, a large group to like show some force, like swing some dicks. And then they're like, mm, maybe we should just do a few dicks because apparently this society has a lot of taboo. And the more people there are, the more likely they are to break a taboo. Break again. a taboo takes them less than a minute. Fifteen to do that. seconds. Oh, like five. <laughs> because they beam down, they encounter the greeting party of the chief and his entourage. And then there's a fucking Klingon. And the red shirt's reaction is, look, a Klingon, let's kill it. Pulls out his phaser, and the tear immediately, like, murders him. He discusses Where did that red shirt get his training? Because it's yeah. the reaction ever. Because the first thing that happens is, because we go to, like, the theme song, and we come back from the commercial, and we get this sort of, like, reenacted mid-action where yeah. Kirk is holding and so oh, not long for this world and then she, in shock and lets him fall to the ground which so I like, loved yeah it was hilarious it was beautiful but really like I wish that we were exaggerating guy says look a Klingon pulls out his phaser his one moment of fame that his parents tuned in at a special yep. time to watch his episode mm-hmm. he has the one line and he delivers it badly yeah well, yes well you know what he's an idiot so and what's the thing like he sees an enemy his immediate idea is to draw his phaser. Yeah, he is extremely poorly trained. To be fair, he was not at the staff meeting. No, which is an odd choice, but because like, we get Well, this... someone had to die, Ari. Sure. But we get this, because Kirk, uh, we get a little captain's log to catch up thing. Um, and we find out that there... There are a lot of those in this episode. There are. Yeah. So many. And we I actually even question- get, a, we get an in-text justification for the fact that they're still making a log. So we totally got our comms back. I will have several questions for this afterwards. We find out that the magic rock they're after is called Topoline, which is used in life support systems. Sure, whatever. What? Uh, yeah. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. I'm just calling it rock. Um, and then Kirk is like, he was young and inexperienced. And I'm like, then why did you bring that one? That's a very valid why question. Why did you bring when the big, beefy veteran who's chill. been doing this for a million years yeah. and will swing his dick if 
especially yeah. as effectively as possible, especially but in a non-threatening way. Especially mm. after we already had the conversation where it's like, we're trying not to piss these people off. We have to be very careful. We have to be very chill. And they bring, like, the least chill greenhorn on the ship. Like, maybe not a dick swing so much as, like, a dick waggle. Or, yeah. like, a wiggle. Being like, I've got it, and I could use it. I just want you to be aware of it in a non-threatening way. That's exactly what they needed. Yes. This kid was not it. No. No. So, Kirk's like, uh, you killed this kid, and I for- I do not have his name. The- What's his name? Akar. Akar. You is, mean, uh, which, like... Chieftain guy. Big Boss? Yeah. Big Boss. Akar. We're calling Big Boss. Big Boss. Big oh, Boss, sure. no ponytail. I, well, I called him, I was Big Boss, and then there was Blackie. I called him, I called him the, the second one. I think one. we're going to pass on that name. <laughs> but yeah. he was just dressed in no, black. No, no, no. He had two, he had green sleeves, which is why I called oh, him green sleeves. Oh, green sleeves. Yeah. So we had, <laughs> I like that. I did not even notice. Yeah. I thought he was dressed So we had Big Boss, black. whose name I believe was Akaar, and then we had um, the other guy whose name was Maab, I'm pretty sure, but we're going to call him Green, green Sleeves. Green Sleeves. Um, but yeah, Maab, uh, Big Boss, is like, well... If he was, if he was your man, was it not his honor to die for you? And he does not understand why anyone's upset about this because this apparently is just totally normal negotiating procedure among the Capellans. But Bone steps in for some actually yeah. quality space diplomacy as well as cultural relativism. <laughs> yeah, because he's spent all this time with these people. He's there because he knows all the taboos, and he stops Kirk from you know losing it. And it's like, okay, you just shut up for a second. Let the grown-ups talk. And I feel like in this episode, and I don't mean this as a slur, I feel like Kirk has PMS this entire episode. He's very testy. He's, he's, he's testy. He has yeah. PMS? Testicular? Man? Man syndrome? Man syndrome. Man syndrome, yes. He has man syndrome. Because he's like, he flips it on, he flips it off. He flips it on, he flips it off. He just yeah. needs to, like... He's, like, on an emotional roller coaster through this whole episode. Which is fine, actually, because it's not, at, it's not an episode about him, really, at all. Don't tell Shatner that. <laughs> but, um... They're like, what the fuck? Why is the Klingon here? And uh, Big Boss is like, well, he said some... He's offered us some cool stuff for our magic rocks, you know. And you've offered us hospitals for the weaklings. Yeah. And what was the other one? Education? What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> Will it help me fight the winkly-woo? And then he's basically, uh, well, we came here to talk. I don't know why you're getting all upset about me killing your dude there, but, um... The Klingon gave up his weapons. Will you give up your weapons? Which is a mistake. They it should have secret weapons at all times. They really should. Yeah. They should have, like, an ankle holster. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they should. Even yeah. though that would be very dishonest, and I'm absolutely certain the compellents would murder them dead instantly. They'd have to find them, and they don't seem like the padding kind, padding <laughs> down kind of culture. No, they just believe that you'll tell them if you have any more weapons. So they're taken to a super sexy tent. It is a very nice tent. Oh, that was mm. a great tent. It great was tent. In, like rugs and chairs and there's mm. fire. It was mm. a great tent. Now, there's a very interesting conversation here that's maybe three sentences long that, um, because they're left alone, just the landing party. And Kirk turns on Bones like it's his fault because he didn't warn him. He definitely warned him. There was a whole conversation about they have taboos and they like killing each other and they don't think it's a big deal, Kirk. Pay attention at the meeting. Like a feral dog on a bone. Yeah, and he says, you said they were unusually honest, so what the hell is a Klingon doing here? The implication being... That having a Klingon in association with you at all makes you dishonest. Well, to be fair, Klingons are not to be trusted. I guess, yeah. Um, I Back, actually, in this era, sure. I like the way the Klingon was used in this episode um, because he basically turned all of their cultural values against the Enterprise people, and yep. it was very shady, and I loved it. He did a great. He job. did the same thing with the Capellans. He he knew what was going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. A-plus Klingon guy whose name I did not catch. He was Klingon, honestly. We'll he was, call yeah. him K.O. He was old-timey Klingon. Yeah, K.O. Because they're did very, a great job. It's just one more example of how old-timey Klingons are drastically different from later Klingons. No, he's great. Yeah. Uh, and Bones tries, is defending the poor dead red shirt. He's like, well, he, he made an... In- you know, he knew the rules. And Jim's like, he made an instinctual move to draw his weapon. Yes. Maybe that one. instinct should be drummed out of you at the Academy. Yeah. I would have assumed that you would make sure it had been drummed out before you brought him down to an extremely sensitive treaty negotiation with people who like to stab each other for fun. Such a snippet. That's one down. There's 400 more on my ship upstairs. Uh, what yeah. more must I give? Yeah. Which is when they're like, oh, if there's a Klingon down here, there's probably Klingons up there. But they can't call the ship. 
because they gave up all of their stuff. Ugh, so stupid of them. So Scotty's left in charge, and here begins all of my problems. I actually thought at this point that he was doing pretty well because they immediately detect the Klingon. Like, immediately. They do. It's on the edge. They can't quite scan it. And Sulu's like, the Klingons? And Scotty's like, who the fuck else? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What should we do? Should we contact the captain? Nah! Well, first, what's Kirk gonna do? Yeah. In evidence. They already knew at this point that there were Klingons in the area. No, they don't. No, Kirk says it to Scotty before they go down. Doesn't know that they're on the planet. Why wouldn't no. you just a quick, oh, hey, Captain, BT Dubs, there's, like, a Klingon ship, and I know we're not technically at war with them, but I just wanted to, like, keep you appraised of the situation. You might see a Klingon on the ground. What are they doing here? Like, keep that in mind as you're doing your locations. Scotty out. It takes two seconds. I don't two know. seconds to call a friend. They already knew the Klingons Text were message. in the area, and there's nope. they're not up to their scheduled check-in time yet. Nope. And Kirk just got there. They moved yeah. The it's been, something. like, five minutes. It does a, you can step outside for five seconds to take this call. I don't know. Mm, With the Capellans, I don't know that they would go for that. Uh, who cares? Anyway, back in the tent, Kirk apologizes for Bones, to Bones, for being a whiny man baby. Mood swing! Yeah. Oh yeah, so many mood swings. Hormones. Oh, and then it gets... Spock is like, I agree, you're being a dick face. (laughs) Emotions are done. Translated from Vulcan. Yeah. So, and then a sexy girl comes into the tent, because we're all living out our Arabian Nights fantasies right now. Yeah. She, there yeah. were some very gross undertones. She's dressed in pink and carrying a tray of food. Which then she kneels down in front of Kirk and Ugh. is about to offer him some food. Bones is like, um... When Bones steps in and, like, slaps it away. No! She actually picks up a piece and holds it out to him. I was just like, oh, come on. I feel like she was trying to get him murdered. She was she definitely... Was. They were, because the way that Bones explains it when he stops them is that um, she was sent in to try and provoke combat. Like, this was a favor that Akaar was doing because he he respects Kirk. That's how it's described. And I'm like, that's a really weird way to treat your potential business partners, but okay. Because any man who touched the lady of the... Her nearest male relative would have to tear, challenge you to single The tear? Con- the tear. I don't know how... I don't think she was related to the royal people. No. But it was just... Yeah. if you. T- it wasn't even touching her. It was if you take the food from her. Based on their customs, don't take food from ladies, or their nearest male relative will come and beat the crap. It out seems of like you. it was like some a very specific ceremonial sort of thing. It's like, sure. So what are you, you supposed wanted to do? Like they wanted to make an ex- yeah, they they wanted to have an excuse to to fight. I don't know because they like fighting. It's, Someone it's not- made that bread. It's not just for offering. It's for eating. Don't look at me. It was not 100% clear. So we're going in to meet the big boss, who at this point, Ooh, from a long shot, looks exactly like Victor Garber. <laughs> Hang on. Back to the tent. My favorite part of that was that what, after Kirk doesn't take the food, a big guy just kind of like <laughs> bursts into the tent, who I'm assuming is like her brother or something. Yeah. And is like really disappointed that yeah. you t- took the food. I you're touching her. You're touching her. You're touching her. You're yeah. touching her. He's like, yeah, I get to fight. Oh, oh you're, not, you're not touching her. <laughs> Yes. Okay, now move on to Victor Anyways, Garber. Yes. Back to Victor Garber. Yeah. Uh, from far away, from close up, I was like, oh no, Victor Garber is much more classically handsome <laughs> than you, sir. Yes. Yeah. So he's the head of the Ten Tribes, mm-hmm. and he proudly introduced his girl bride. I'm like, yep, this is my young ass wife that I got to like pump full of babies. Mm. She wasn't that young, though. She wasn't. Like Compared 20s. to him. Yeah. She, he describes himself as an old man. He does not look very old to me, but maybe their aging process is different. Victor Garber is timeless. And her name is L-A-N? L-E-N. L-E-N. I honestly just called her wife the entire time, because I think they said her name, like, twice, and I could not they remember. They said her name, it. like, eight or nine times. It's L-E-N. Anyways, so this is prelude to a smackdown between Greensleeves and... Yes, because Greensleeves is not on board with this treaty with the Federation. You forgot to mention the most important thing about her entrance. She's super pregnant. So I yes. did not notice. You didn't? No. She's wearing a maternity dress. She's wearing a lot of flowy drapery. I it did not catch it at all. Really? Okay, because this is the point where she walked in and was like, oh, this is the one with the pregnant lady. I remember this yeah. one. I, honestly, it took until the point where she was pushing a baby out of her vagina to be like, Oh, yeah, she's pregnant, isn't she? No, he her- introduces her as his young wife to give this old man a son I to thought rule it was these like tribes. Aspirational. Her dress started underneath the boobs and, like, 
split over her stomach, and there was like the drape. It was over a very exaggerated was, pregnant it stomach. Was a maternity dress. To be fair, I was watching this on a cell phone. That is also true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Greensleeves is not down with Victor Garber's no. plan He wants to... them to go with the Klingons. Yeah. For what reason? Do we know? No. Well, we, well, we get the impression that the that Klingon dude has sort of gone to Greensleeves and been like, look, we are a much better deal. We well, are much cooler than them. This cannot be disputed. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Klingon is standing behind yeah. Greensleeves. In fact, he later specifically mentions that they had an agreement. He's like Ka the snake in Robin Hood. Yes. Yes, and that, this is exactly what this is, and this is one of the reasons I love this, is this, this episode is a court drama, and the Klingon is, it the, is, is very a interesting. foreign yeah. yeah, it's interesting, because then they have a sort of a front-off about the trade, because the tier is like, okay, convince me, and the Klingon's like, look, we're tough, like you, we're cool, like you, not like those losers, plus we'll give you tangible stuff. What, what do, do they want to give you? Schools. No, 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 it's better than that. Liquids for the sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So great. Yeah. And Jim's like, you know what I can offer you? Laws. No, no. You- what I can offer you is not fucking conquering you. No. Like those well, guys. Your world is your world and always your world. And they're like, right. But getting back to that kind of weapon and fighty stuff? <laughs> I like that Kirk is trading, we won't conquer and destroy your civilization. Like, yeah. As a negotiation technique, it needs a little finesse. I just don't understand how they still have to have this conversation with prospective like trading partners. It's like, have you heard of the Klingons? Do you know about the Klingons at all? But they do. And the uh, Greensleeve says, this guy does not interest me. Yeah. <laughs> Which I am putting on a t-shirt. <laughs> And obvious, and yeah, it's about to, it essentially, like, we go back to the ship, there's a distress call mm-hmm. from, oh, fuck, okay, Exhibit B. They get a distress call from an Earth freighter ship saying, oh no, we are under attack from the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Help, help. Mm-hmm. Help, help. And help. We, we are in distress. Distress. Help. We cut back to a fucking civil war. Yeah. I know. I was just like, what the fuck happened while we were on the ship? Like, everybody is just, like, beating the shit out it of each other. It felt like something that sort of, like, was cut forward from the actual beginning because everyone is just beating the crap out of each other. We were gone for two minutes. Yeah. And in that space, the entire culture devolves into a giant bloody fisticuff. People yeah. were getting stabbed left, left and right. Yep. And center. Yeah. And center cam. Yeah. Yep. So Greensleeves has turned on the tier, obviously. Um, sure. Sure. Uh, and so we sort of follow, we see a lot of, like, Capellans stabbing and punching Capellans, and we sort of, uh, the... Acapella on Acapella violence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk and Co. Uh, come upon the Klingon, because they head for the tier stand, because they need their fucking weapons. The Klingon is also looking for his weapons. There is a great fight here, which I have summarized because I don't—I didn't know if I could really put it into words as to what this <laughs> fight meant to me, and it essentially boils down to curtains, tassels. <laughs> Stand here while I kick you. <laughs> yeah, Kirk throws a cushion at someone. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, exactly. and then he throws tassels at them. <laughs> but see, here's my favorite part of this whole thing. Yes, Kim. <laughs> Big boss is killed off screen. Yep. <laughs> We see, All we that see him. stabbing. Yeah. We don't even get to see him die. Well, it's funny because we actually see him taking down, like, three attackers, and then we cut away, and Greenfields is walking into the tent, and he's like, the tear is dead. I am the tear. <laughs> that was my favorite part of the fight. Wow. Yeah. Victor Garber did not even get his own death All scene. All the main action yeah. kind of off screen. This is crazy. So, the Klingon... Kirk has managed to subdue the Klingon and has a knife at his throat when Greensleeves walks in, and uh, the Klingon gets let up, because Greensleeves has, like, 15 more guys than they do. And Klingon's like, kill him! Kill him now! This is so great, because they lead the old wife in, the old wife of the tier, she's pregnant with the old tier's kid, like, clearly, by the customs of this culture, she's gotta go. You carry a child that would be tier. Okay, at this point, I should have realized that she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. When they said those words. <laughs> you carry you carry a child that will be tier. Whoops! <laughs> yeah. So, she trips and falls into a No, hole. she does not trip. She oh, is, they somebody trip sticks out a thing <gasps> and trips her and she sits her hand in the this fire. This is my only objection. I mean, it's, not really, I have many objections, but this is very inconsistent with the way she's treated by them the rest of the mm-hmm. episode because yep. it's like 
okay, the tradition says that you must die, but otherwise they're incredibly respectful to her. Like, later on, because I think she trips and puts her hand into a brazier and burns her arm. Yes. And Bones goes to help her, or Kirk touches her? Kirk does. Kirk touches her um, to, like, help her up or something. And she's like, oh, oh, no, you did not just do that. And she's like... Okay, I'm going to die. That's fine. That's totally cool. You kill him first. I have the right to see him die for touching me. And they're ultra-respectful to her the whole rest of the episode, but that tripping thing really bugged me. Yeah, the tripping thing made no sense, and it was literally just an excuse to injure her so that McCoy... Except you could have had her, like, scrape her hand on a rock or something while they were fleeing. Yeah. Made no sense. So Kirk goes ultra-chivalrous, because that's what he does, and he tries to intervene in the killing... And he fails because he's surrounded by a seven-foot-tall giant Viking yeah. <laughs> who all immediately, like, put their swords through him. And one of them, he's sprawled out on the ground. One of them crawls over and puts the sword at his junk. I did not notice that. <laughs> oh, I did. Not just because I'm watching Kirk's junk 95% of the episode, which is probably why I didn't notice she was pregnant. Well, it's really, it's just clear. really strange. Because then, I don't know if they were going to kill the landing party at this point, but then they're like, no man may touch the wife of a tear. And so he's gonna die. Yeah, and she says it's my right to see him die. Yeah, because he touched her. Yeah. Fine, that doesn't really match with the tripping, but fine. Well, punishment fits the crime, all right. Sure. Um, the Enterprise leaves oh! orbit to rescue the fake ship. <laughs> I don't actually have a problem with this at this point, because they can't get a hold of them, and they have to they have to answer a distress call. Are you off your rocker? No. It's obviously a trap. Well, I said, wait, no hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, on my notes. This is clearly a goddamn trap. Well, narratively, yes. But I expect they have rules that say you must answer a distress call. And not doing it because you have four people on the surface is not a good enough reason. There is a Klingon ship that you know there is a Klingon ship right nearby. And then right out of the blue, you get a distress message taking you away from that Klingon ship where you're a captain. And some very important minerals are stationed. What if it's real? Why not call them back? I... That is a good question. Yeah. Like, go a little bit further. Call them. Do they respond? But they might not be able to respond. Why? Okay. Lots of reasons. All right. No, I've thought about this. I'm really angry. So, (laughs) on this ship, they have a dedicated person for communications Uh whose entire job is to, like, hail people and say, they're not responding. (laughs) Sorry, Ahura. I'm sure you do much more. Um, They have an entire post dedicated to communications, which I can only assume that there are other communications on other ships. One person whose entire job is to communicate with other people out there. That doesn't mean that freighters would have the same model that the Enterprise does. It's not even. I'm a saying that they ship. will probably have a communications person. Maybe that's, I'm going to say not, they do. But that isn't how it takes works. two seconds to pick up the phone. Maybe, but they also might not be able to answer the phone. That's happened like why a they're under attack by Klingon. Take a final. Mo- oh, you're coming? Yeah, we're here. Get your ass over here. Maybe it's on fire. Yeah. Well, then it's too late for the uh, Enterprise to save them, isn't it? They're all dead. Oh, heartless. Write them off as an acceptable loss. I don't know. I think even a potent, like, you're a 400-person, like, what is it, Constitution-class starship, the flagship of the fleet. If you don't even answer a distress call from a civilian freighter, I think there would definitely at least be I'm not saying you're not going to answer it. You could definitely pick up the phone and say, okay, yeah, where are you? But what if they picked up the phone and they couldn't answer? Too bad for them. Ooh. Okay, I disagree. Mm-mm. Like, they had to at least answer to the distress You call. can answer it by calling them back. But again, they I'm might not be able to. I'm saying it's too much of a coincidence for that to be real. Right, but... Send a shuttle. A shuttle, which would be able to do what exactly against, against the Klingons? Well, they're all dead anyways. Yeah, but this is a freighter of probably, like, 100 people. Even if the- it's only 50 or 60 people, up against the four people you have on the surface, that's still... Balances that you still should go after the freighter. Hate to break it, Yari. The freighter is dead. They would never make it in time. It's gone. There's no guarantee of that. And the way that it is, at least the way that it is explained in the episode, the impression that I got, I don't know what you can, is that you have to respond to distress calls. Yes, that is the, I think it's starkly policy that if there's a distress call, you respond. And we see this over and over and over again throughout all the series. There's a distress call. You have to go look at it, even if you think it's probably a trap. Just so you have to go and check and it And the out. point being, like, and even though, like, we know that other, like, hostile species use this sometimes as a trick, I think there's a conversation in Next Gen where they're like, yeah, it might be a trap, but if we don't answer, what are we? Who are we? Oh, if we don't you're fall alive for this trap. and you're much more efficient as an organization. Okay, you should be a Vulcan. Or maybe also, a Klingon. 
Also, might I add, there would be another way of circulating a special passcode to verify that this is a legitimate request for aid. Two passcodes, one to say that you're under duress and one to say that this is a legitimate need. You should definitely suggest that to Starfleet HR. I will. And so you would never be put in this situation again. You would always know that it was a trap because they didn't say the special words. Okay, but do you require every, like, crash car on the highway to have a special passcode when they're calling 911? Or do you take it at their word? No, Ari, if this is a... (laughs) No one on the road is trying to kill us. How do you know? You have deeper psychological issues than You're the cops. No, I'm, I'm trying to have a real-world analog here. It's like, if if you're, like, the cops, and you know yes. that there are, like, bad guys out there who, like, make fake 911 calls to draw you in to attack you or keep you away from other crimes, which, by the way, has happened before. Yes. We see in crime shows all the time where they, like, stage a fake crime to draw them away from other crimes. Narratively, at least, this follows. Mm. Are you going to make every civilian have, like, a secret passcode to prove that they are actually yeah. civilians? Plus, there's a lot less ships out there that you could know that were in the actual space itself whereas than I crimes think, everywhere. Whereas I think that actually means they have even more need and, you know, like, moral weight, ethical weight, legal weight, definitely, because they actually say that, to that they have to answer this trust call because they're the only help around. You can wait. I disagree. Anyway. Um, this was my opinion on this is that it was just the narrative gymnastics yeah. that they needed yeah. and it was the equivalent. There wasn't actually a ticking clock, but it was the ticking clock. It was so the yeah. And in fact, Spock on the surface immediately reasons out in like three steps. Oh, well something has detained rescue because they've now missed the check. Cause it's a trap. And my favorite part is a horror kind of, Scotty says, yeah, we're definitely going into this trap. And a horror kind of comes over and says, captain. And he's like, no, we have to. She's like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> it's because it's the rules. Fine. It's a dumb rule. Anyway, um... And, and then there's... Scotty... No, no, no. I have to go back to this. God. Scotty narrates his log to the rest of the bridge and is just standing there monologuing where everyone is, like, trying not to listen and to go about their jobs. <laughs> but when Shatter does this, it's fine. Because he does it, like, every single episode. No, he Where doesn't. he stands on the bridge and narrates his log? Yes, he does no, it frequently. No, he's not actually speaking out loud to the camera. He sometimes is. Not often. Yes. Not often. Anyway, they're sitting in a tent. They're all sort of hostages at this point. I'm not sure why they stopped the honor-killing proceedings at this point, but they have. <laughs> Who knows? Wouldn't, wouldn't it, again, be more efficient if I was this culture right to away? just, like, slice and dice at the moment? Yeah. Don't let it marinate. <laughs> Except that, narratively, they needed them all in one place so that the next thing could happen. Because they're all sitting in a tent, and Eliane is sitting in the corner pissed off at everyone and fair enough she's having a really shitty day um and bones is like fuck this i'm gonna doctor that lady and yes. he ju- i think he actually just means i'm gonna fucking doctor that lady whereas kirk and spock look at each other like hmm distraction i i took me so long to figure out what's going on because bones is like oh i'm gonna help her out because i can only be killed once yeah <laughs> Might as well do the whole shamam. But to his credit, he he catches on pretty fast, because I don't think he had any idea what they were going to do. It, it's very weird, because you're watching, and they're like, yes, go help her out. I was like, are they going to have sex in <laughs> Like, is this his last request thing? So uh, Bones goes over, and then Spock and Kirk throw pillows at the guards. <laughs> So Kirk's entire weapon of choice throughout this episode is pillows. Pillow. He plumps them first. Yeah. He stands there plumping the pillow as Bones crosses the head to her. Plumping the pillows. No. A euphemism. (laughs) Nobody ever expects the Spanish Inquisition. Not the comfy chair. Poke him with the pointy cushion. (laughs) It's so weird. So these are seven foot tall warrior people. Taken out by pillows. Taken out by pillows. (laughs) Our one weakness is thorough pillows. Decorative thorough pillows. With tassels. That's fair. (laughs) So they've taken out the guards. And Kirk goes to Elian, who is sitting with Bones, who has basically just kept her quiet while this was happening. And he's like, you said you were prepared to die. Does that mean you prefer to die? And she does some quick math in her head, and she says, to live is always preferable. Yes, which I feel like I is a very Vulcan way. Yeah. Also, Bones has his hands all over her face. Yeah. Yeah. Very touchy-feely. He is very handsy with her. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone is. They throw her around like she's a decorative cushion. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I did like to live is always desirable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That feels very Vulcan of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very practical. So Greensleeves is just sitting in a chair, a fancy chair. Yeah. In a the weird, middle of the village. This was so weird. It's bizarre. 
bizarre. And he's just reveling in his new power. While the Klingon whines at him because he wants his weapons back. And Greensleeves is like, look, you agreed, them is the rules. Because the Klingon is obviously at this point trying to figure out how to turn this to his advantage and or betray them again. He's doing a good job, though. Like, yeah. good job to KO. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's trying so hard. Yep. Again, I'm going to go back to Exhibit C. There's no trace of anything in the space where this nope. this uh, ship is supposed to be. There's no debris. There's no signal. They can't see it. It can only go warp, too, so it can't have got far. This is where I agree that Scotty yes, is making bad should. decisions. Mm-hmm. They Once they got there and found there was nothing, there was no debris, there was no ship, now? they should have immediately yeah. turned around and gone back. Oh, now it is definitively but a they trap. don't. No. So Sulu's like, well, gee, like we should be able to see them. They can only go warp, too. And if they were like, hampered or if they've been hit and scotty whips around and says fuck you i know how fast a freighter can go i'm like whoa disproportionate response (laughs) to the information being provided um so the landing party flees into the hills oh my god mention specifically oh by the way i'm making this log because we got our communicators back thing though this is the most like this is the voiceover that gives us, like, the most plot yeah. actions. Yeah. Yeah. Like, here's what's going on, mm-hmm. people. We got our weapons back. We're fleeing to the hills. This lady hates her baby. Okay. And I'm just like, what? Yeah. So, yes, she hates her unborn child. And I'm like, when did that come up in casual conversation as you were fleeing the hills? That's not something that people usually just, like, trips off the tongue. Oh, yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, yeah, like, bad weather we're having. Yeah, yeah. I fucking hate my fetus, you know? <laughs> and, like, so in, like, the five minutes we've been away from them, they've snuck into, like, Green Sleeves' tent and stolen the communicators. But not their phasers, just their communicators. Just their communicators. Eluding all these guards, fleed up into the hills and had a conversation with her about her feelings about her baby. That, like, they must have really bonded on their five-minute walk out to Vasquez Rocks. This is, yeah. like, some, like, really good time management. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. They really, really bond out there. Yeah. Well, but he, like in Speed, near-death experiences do bring people close together. Well, also, uh, if you have, like, the worst bedside manner in the history of the galaxy like Bones does, because he basically bullies oh her gosh. into letting him treat oh her. Oh my god, he was terrible. Because he's, she's still like, you will not touch, you will not fucking touch me. And he's like, look. <laughs> I actually wrote in my notebook here, Kirk and Spock scout around while Bones yells at an injured pregnant woman whose husband was just murdered. Yeah. Also has apparently never heard of patient's rights because she's like, no, no, no. And it just keeps like prodding and squeezing her belly. Oh, and I'm like, oh no. Let's give full credit where credit is due. She says, you won't touch me. And he says, I will touch you anywhere. <laughs> then she slaps around a couple times to which he takes a moment and then belts her across the face. Yeah. Again, she is a injured pregnant woman <laughs> whose husband has just been murdered in a yeah. violent coup mm-hmm. and she's been faced with death and then this stranger alien is breaking all of her societal taboos and then smacking her around. Yeah. There was so much going on here that I was just grossed out by the like the bones just telling her I will touch you however I yeah. want and then like him like, basically Leonard. having his hands all over her for the rest of the episode at one point like putting his hands on her stomach to, like, divine what's going on inside of her. And, like, with magic. The, and all of the issues that come around, like, women, pregnant women with bodies that are considered public The word bodily yeah. autonomy apparently yeah. has not crossed Starfleet's mind at any point when treating its, medi- uh, training its medical personnel. Yeah, and all of that, all of the issues around that that this presented as, like, she was completely wrong for not submitting immediately to, like, medical care, to, like, the touch of other people. To a dude, Yeah, yeah, they wanted to. And then the other bit that got me was that, I mean, I understand that it's it's presented as part of her culture, that they're, like, a warrior culture and they appreciate strength and everything, but, like, she needed to be smacked around in order to come over and finally start respecting the men. That was so gross. Because, like, after Bones smacked her, and, I mean, she did hit him twice first, and then he hits her, but, like, then she, like, smiles, and then she's into it. It was really disturbing. It was, like, well, the funny domestic thing is, violence? It was gross. I hated it. I think they were trying to sort of, sort of bury this under, because the, 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 the slap, slap, return, slap thing was very, very present in everything in this era. Like, with the sort of 
romantic partners or characters whose archetypes, like, their relationships were cast as, like, potential romantic partners, oh. or even just, like, that kind of banter and back and forth. You see it a lot in spanking. older movies. Spanking. spanking, too. Don't make me spank you. And then sometimes yeah. they do. They take their lady, you know, cross their knees and just spank her silly. Yeah. And it's quasi-sexual, but it's also, like, I'm just gonna put you in your place and I kind of secretly like Because women are really all just yeah, children. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's also strange because he's like, oh, it's going to pop out any time now. And she says, how do you know? Women of my village cannot tell so much. Bullshit. Yeah. Yes. Really? Okay, that, was, that was another thing that was gross. It was like, because that's, again, the medicalization of birth, mm. taking the responsibility for birth away from the women and the midwives and the villages and moving it into a medical profession. Pathologizing it. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And this is just trying to, oh, God, Let's delegitimize the roles of women in their own health. So she's like, ooh, but your hands are so soft. And Spock kind of, like, pops up out of the greenery and he's like, (laughs) what's going on here? And he communicates all that with a facial expression. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a a little, a really fucking long sequence where uh, Kirk and Spock sort of plan a trap. This um, is amazing. Against the Capellans, where they basically, they trigger a rock slide with their communicators because sound waves, whatever, nope. I don't care. Nope. <laughs> okay, so my favorite parts about this are one, they're like, they're looking at like a wide open plane. Yes. They're like, mm-hmm. let's bring the rocks down here, not like farther up in the hills where it's narrower. They- Two, sonic waves. Three, sure. not, the sonic waves didn't just shake everything loose. They caused an actual explosion. explosion. I actually, I mean, effects wise, I thought this was a very impressive sequence, but it was stupid as a this, storytelling thing. This, it was a very good avalanche. Yes, it was a very, very good avalanche. Yeah, it was um, a very good DIY rock fly. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's, um, there's actually an episode of Voyagers, one of my favorite episodes, where there's two rock slides in the episode. And one of them is so bad that it's literally just, you hear rumbling, there's some shaking, oh, and then yeah. you look over and there's a pile of rocks. And I was kind of expecting something in like that level no, they for really this. And this was like, the, uh... there was dust, there was stuff falling. Um, you actually got to see like people being knocked over and oh, yeah. murdered Rolling by boulders. It was yeah. very, very good. And then slide. as the dust begins to settle, our Klingon pal, who's like hidden behind a rock because Klingons are so brave, uh, knocks down a Capellan who's sort of like groggy because he's been hit in the head with a rock, steals his knife, stabs him, and goes over to the other Capellans. Oh, shame, your buddy died in the rock slide. And well, steals he, his knife. But he, also, he starts looting corpses pretty yes. quick. But he, the thing is, he also slips a phaser out of somebody's boot here. Or yeah. he yeah. grabs a phaser. Like, wh- why did they bring the phaser? I assume someone just confiscated it as like a trophy. Like, this is cool. Yeah. Also, I think we should have a moment of silence for all the ponytails that were lost in that <laughs> rock slide. Okay. And then also a moment of silence for the dignity of the grown men who had to leap around outdoors in Vasquez rocks <laughs> yeah. wearing those costumes. I have never seen anything so ridiculous when they do the wide shot. Yeah. And there's them in their giant platform fuzz boots. And they're like skin tight costumes with the faux fur and the giant ponytails bounding and leaping across rocks. Yeah. You just really felt with them. Nothing that the world has ever created will be as strange or as affecting as that was. <laughs> yeah. The swoopy, was... majestic cloaks with their blue fur trim. Oh my god. Yeah. This episode was a gift and a nightmare. Truly, truly was. So Bones is all worried about how a baby's gonna come out. Apparently they're humanoid, but they're not human. That's actually the first time we've had that explicitly stated in, like, when someone looks very human. Like, there are internal differences. So they're not human. Thank you, Star Trek, finally branching that tree. Kirk has a very strange management technique throughout this entire episode that I would like to bring up. No. It's like, if someone says, oh, well, no, that's really hard. It's like, oh, well, if you can't do it. And then they immediately are like, yeah, yeah, I can birth a baby out of anything. Works every time. He plays them like two cellos, yeah. one in each arm. Yeah, because he's like, the last thing I fucking need around is a ham-handed starship captain. Get out. I can do this. Uh, is Kirk saying that he could birth the baby? Is that what he's volunteering? No idea. Although, surely, that is something you get trained in when you become a starship captain. Kirk seems to me more like the kind that would pace outside the cave with a cigar. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Mm. So, the lady doesn't want Kirk or Spock to touch her. Only McOy. <laughs> okay, this part comes up into relation to like fleeing into the hills and climbing the rocks. Yeah. And my favorite thing here is Bones saying, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. It's such a good move. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, I will allow only your touch. It's because he's the only one who beat her up. 
I know, it's gross. Okay, now we're going to go back to exhibit D in Ugh. my impeachment process of Scotty, where they have definitively posed there is no debris, there is no signal, there is no nothing. And Scotty is just puzzled. He's flummoxed. He's standing there going, well, vessels just don't disappear into thin air. I'm starting to actually feel worse for Scotty than I did before because this is so artificially drawn out it's, now. It makes him look yeah. stupid. It does. And her is like, well, it's all clear. And Jack was like, there's nothing here. Scotty's like, huh, gee willikers. Hmm. So they replay the distress call. On microtape. On microtape. Um, and they're like, huh. They called for us specifically. It wasn't a general distress call. That's suspicious. That's suspicious? It called specific. Hey, Enterprise, come and save us from the killing ons. Yeah. Nothing yeah. suspicious about that. And Sulu's like, oh, it's a trap. Admiral Akbar style. And Uhura's like, <laughs> or it's authentic. Uhura. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have another. Uh, no, 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 oh, no, no, no. No, I'm not letting this go. Scotty's like, we should just stay here to make sure. I think we've established that this was artificially drawn out with really bad writing just so that they could be separated from the away team. Yes. Mm-hmm. It Carrying really on. was. Um, so, Elian is in labor. Um, they sort of hide in the labor cave. or asking for some kind of sexual favors because Bones puts her down on the rock, which all, all ladies want to get birth on the rock. Uh, Kirk lights some magic fire, and the lighting improves drastically in this cave, yep. much more than a tiny flame would suggest. And he, she's like, oh, there's so much pain. And he kind of puts her hands on her belly. She's like, no, no, pain here. She puts his hands a little lower. No, lower. And I was like, again, this is taking on a weirdly sexual tone. Although I think that was supposed to be one of those internal differences because they're not human sort of thing. But yeah, it and was weird. And then Kirk's suggestion, oh, can't you give her a happy no, pill? No, what he says is, how do you arrange for her to let you touch her? Like, why is she being so compliant now? Did you drug her up? Because that's a completely acceptable thing to do to a woman in labor who has already refused care like four times. I Just I, drug her. It'll be fine. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think because she's in pain, he's saying, can't you give her a happy no, pill? No, he's asking why she's complying now. Did you give her a happy pill? And he says, no, right cross. And Kirk says, that's not in any medical book I ever read. And Bone says, it's in mine from now on. All, I mean, Oh my God, yeah. that's fucking awful. <laughs> I know. And it's so awful because I think it's supposed to be this oh funny God. little, this is what I do to patients who don't do what I tell but them. But it's like, but it's just right to the moon. Like, yeah. Oh, it's so terrible. Like, oh it, my God. Yeah. And I think it's meant to be like a, a, a veiled threat towards Kirk, who is a terrible patient. But because we're talking about a pregnant woman, it's got like 75 layers of awful. Right to the moon. Yeah. Oh my god, this is terrible. Oh. Oh my god. Yeah. It's just, it's awful, isn't it, Kirk? It's so awful. Kirk's like crying over here. <laughs> That's so I wrote it all down upset. because it was so awful. This entire episode was like, Really offensive. Yeah, this, this is horrible. This is the guy they women. sent as a front line to new potential trading partners with a million taboos. This guy. This episode is actually like extremely misogynistic. Oh yeah. my god! So, oh um, yeah, I just punched her into submission. <laughs> you cad. Yeah. So Kirk and Spock are making weapons. There's a very tasteful birthing scene where we see nothing above the shoulder. Well, wait, you forgot the bit where she, uh, Bones tries to convince her she wants the kids by saying, just repeat to yourself, this child belongs to me, this child belongs to me. And she's all like, yes, it does. It's your kid now. Congratulations. (laughs) Because the reason she doesn't want the child is because in compelling culture, the child belongs to the husband. And she doesn't have a husband anymore, so it's nobody's child. So she just needs a substitute. And Bones gave her a very convenient out. But Bones says, oh, husbands, they always take all the credit. (laughs) See, that's so at odds with everything else that has happened. Can I pause here for a moment while we're talking about babies belonging to husbands and it's nobody's child? Um, We talk about the title, Friday's Child. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's a reference to the poem. Yes, it is. But how the hell Friday's Child is like strong and or like good and and friendly or something like. No, uh, Friday's Child is full of woe. No, that's Wednesday's child. Monday's child is full of grace. Tuesday's child is fair of face. Wednesday's fair child is, is, uh, Wednesday's child is full of woe. Thursday's something or other. Friday is strong. Saturday or whatever. And then Sunday is just like the best kid ever. I don't really 
thought there were five days in the poem. There's a whole seven. Okay, we're going to pause. Yeah. So there are different versions, and the one the Star Trek one is taking it from is Friday's Child is Full of Woe. Because I, oh, I thought the title didn't make any sense because I've never, ever heard Friday's Child being full of woe. They're, Friday's Child is always like a good worker or something. <laughs> poor Friday. Poor, <laughs> poor Friday. So, yeah, she essentially is like, oh, yeah, the baby's yours now. In the original version, in DC Fontana's version, yeah. she sacrifices the child to go back to her people. Ooh. Whoa. Roddenberry took a look at that and went, oh, no. <laughs> no we cannot murder a baby. I mean, <laughs> that is a bold move. I mean, that is what she intends, at least, like, on the face of things, because there's a whole thing where they make bows and arrows. Who cares? Um, the Capellans never developed the bow. It doesn't matter. They... Make bows and arrows. Who cares? Um, it is only important because they're like, they didn't invent them, so it's going to come as a super surprise. Like gunpowder. No. Mm-hmm. Um, the baby is born. All of the men's are temporarily reduced to useless children because <laughs> men don't know how to deal with babies. Well, Spock doesn't. Uh, again, that is the least baby. It is a log of wood. That was <laughs> the fakest baby that ever yeah. most fake oh, yeah. of all babies. Uh, so fake. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Elian says... Mac Oi, bring our child. And Spock and Bo- and Kirk's day suddenly has improved because this is apparently hilarious. Yeah. Uh, can I just say, her hair looks great for having it just does. given birth. It's amazing. She is immaculate from start to finish, despite an actual human being coming out from her vagina. Yeah. Yeah, just saying. Back to the ship. They are finally getting back to Acapella 4. And there's a distress call from the USS Carolina. <laughs> This time, they're like, oh. okay, no, it's fake. And her was like, okay, but what if it's not this time? And Scotty's like, I'll take responsibility. I'm done. So they head back. Well, wait, um, okay, so the other thing that I noticed here that really drove me up is I don't even remember what the joke was, but Chekhov makes a joke, and then everyone oh, yes. pauses. It's a Russian joke. laugh. Oh, yeah, it's a Russian joke. Yeah. yeah. The fool me once. The show pauses to let you think about how funny that is for way too long. Yeah. It was just like... I'm still not laughing. I mm-hmm. think in terms of running order, this might have been one of the very first Chekhov Yeah, uh, Because it's only the second episodes. that we totally invented that in Russia joke, I think. so. It's it, supposed to be the first. Yeah, so that actually makes sense. If because it's like, oh, isn't that funny? <laughs> Get used to it because you're going to be hearing it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, Elian wakes up, hits Bones with a rock. Oh, amazing! Oh, that was so great. Yeah, and runs away. She will have her revenge. Yep. Kirk and Spock come back. And he staggers out of the cave, like rubbing his head because apparently he's fine. Okay, here's my question: Does that cave have more than one exit? Like, how no. does she get out without Kirk and Spock? Noticing? They're out. They're like, busy making, making bow and arrows, like the else. men are often doing. Yes. Um, Bones is like, man, I gotta forget psychiatry and just focus on the doctoring. You don't have a major in psychiatry. We already established that twice, multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought she really learned to want that baby. In the five minutes you said, May going, no, no, it's your baby, and you should love it because you're a mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kirk and Spock go after her because she's going to head straight for the warriors. Yeah. And they leave Bones behind to take care of the baby. Fine. Good. There's another shot up to the Enterprise where they're playing a weird game of chicken with a Klingon yeah, warship. Because which... the, the, the warbird, it's warbirds for Klingons, right? Yes. Yes. I can never remember which one's Bird of Prey and which one's Warbirds, but it's the Klingon Warbird has like... No, Bird of Prey. Bird of Prey, is it? Yeah, Klingon Bird of Prey. Yeah. The ship. bird-like ship. Warship. Anyway, has like, been like, oh, they're not falling for our incredibly, incredibly facile and transparent trap anymore. Fuck that. We're going to sit right in front of them. Um, and then the game of chicken. And here I wrote, guys, space is three-dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent point. So the... Cl- she... I L- liked this. L-A-N... Like, gallops across the plane. She is incredibly good shape for having just given birth to a child. A human being has come out of her well, vagina. Not a human being. A capellan. Maybe they've got amazing oh, sorry. Hair. A humanoid has just come out of her vagina. Yeah. Just saying that. And she's like, I killed the child. I kill all them. Let's go home. <laughs> yep. It's fine. Crisis over. I will die in my own tent. <laughs> I just also like that the Klingon is still hanging around going like, they're all evil. This is all terrible. Nobody, yeah. Like, they're all kind of at this point. Now that they have power and don't need him, he just comes off like an irritant. Yeah. It he true. is. Um, because they take her at her word. Uh, Greensleeves is like, oh, well, if you say. 
that you killed her. I can see why she becomes the boss. Is because yeah. she's the only one capable of lying. Yeah. And not feeling very bad about it at all. Yeah. You know? Maybe complete and perfect honesty is not the best cultural value to cling to with cold dead hands. But yeah, they're like, oh, well, if you say that you killed them all and the child is the dead, we're like, fine, we're cool. What? The Klingon's <laughs> like, are you crazy? <laughs> the Klingon is just like, she, yeah. She, she lies. Lying. And, she lies. And they're like, I'm sorry, did you just call the wife of a tear a liar? It's actually great because he has a phaser and he starts phasering some ponytails. It's tragic and terrible. Yeah. They're all dead. And it's so great. And there's also some bow and arrow action, but we really don't care. No. And so <laughs> he's so he's got the phaser and and essentially uh, Green Seas and the rest of the boss crew are like, uh, and LAN steps up and is like, you pussies. Yeah. Here's the deal. You must go and avenge me. I've got a strategy plan for you. You go attack here. You go attack here. And the guys are like, oh, we are shamed. Yep. We are so shamed. Yeah. It is, my life is forfeit to yours. Which I really like. I and love Green this Sleeves, part. like, marches off to his death. Yes. To, to, to like, distract the Klingon out of hiding so that Kirk and Spock can take him out from above. No, he's discuses to death. He is discuses. No, the no, he, the he is discuses to death. Maybe they both get him. No, but the Klingon is discuses. Okay, whatever. Who cares? Um, yeah. I really liked that part because she just sort of walked in and fucking took control of the situation. At this point, I finally realized what her hair reminded me of, and it was Bread Week on Great British Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Oh, I want to So then a bleed of red shirts bound onto the scene, not yes. a moment too late, <laughs> saying, oh yeah, like, uh, we won. No worries about that Klingon warship. Yeah. It, it came to nothing. And here comes Bones with the baby, who he mm. hands back to Elian. Mm. And then he patronizes her and explains how to be a parent. Yeah. To be fair, she was holding that child like a block of wood, which... It is. I guess, to be fair, again, it was a block of wood. Yeah. And then he also makes the worst baby talk That was very bad. This baby baby is so angry about everything, and fair enough. Uchi coochie to a child. I don't Um, know. Maybe the future is even stranger than now. It was really weird. (laughs) Saying really stupid things to babies. Terrible. Yeah. So it turns out, back back on our ship, Mm -hmm. we get the sort of political rundown fallout of the situation. Is that she is boss. Yes. Uh, so we got that mining treaty signed. The baby is in charge. Oh, yeah. Technically, the baby is in charge. But it's all been signed by his new regent, L.A.N. Yeah. L.A.N. Yep. And she has named her child Leonard James Akaar. Yeah. And they are so puffed up. Yeah. Why didn't Spock get a shout Why did Kirk get a shout out? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Kirk technically stopped her from being murdered in a test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spock was just cranky. Spock was just there. Spock was just there. He did not contribute. And Spock is just. They're like, so what do you think? Isn't that a great name, Spock? Huh, Spock? Don't you think that was awesome, Spock? And Spock's like, I think you're both going to be insufferably pleased with yourselves for at least a month. At which my response to in my notes is, fire everyone. (laughs) Just start from scratch. Fire everyone out of the cannon. Well, no, out of the torpedo bays. Into cold, dead space. Yup. So, uh, life lesson to be learned from this, Kim. Um, don't get knocked up by a warlord. <laughs> That's usually not a choice matter, Kim. Fine. Um, don't have a baby in a cave. Okay. I think, I actually think it could be boiled down to something much simpler, like, just don't be a woman. It's not worth it. <laughs> Okay. okay. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, this is a lesson that we are supposed to be taking from this episode to apply to our lives. I don't know. I'm not saying I would definitely take it, but it certainly seems to be something being communicated to me from this story. It's just, it's not fucking worth it, man. It's just not. Uh... I mean, unless you can seize control of your people by becoming a regent to your newborn child. Okay. It's a little bit of a roundabout way of seizing power. It's it's further than I would go personally. Mm. I have two life lessons. Okay. Uh, one of them is have a birth plan. <laughs> yep. 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 With contingencies. Right. The second one is this guy means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Although if you're going to have a birth plan, please do not have your sister print it out and bring it to you because your printer is dead making her read it. Oh, did you have to read your sister's birth plan? I did. It's information I probably could have gone on living without having taken in. Aww. Yeah. 
The more you know. Uh, Kim, your counts. Okay, this one was awkward because there were so many, like, background characters who died that I actually Mm. couldn't count them. So we had four sort of important. We had the red shirt, we had the two tears, and we had the Klingon who all died. And then a bunch of background characters, so four plus died. (laughs) Four plus question mark. (laughs) Uh, Ari, your count? Uh, We have uh, six ladies and three people of color. Okay. I think we're, it's like three and three. No, it's two ladies in the Enterprise because it was Uhura and, like, one person who brought something for Scotty to sign, and then a bunch while of, he uh, was monologuing, while he was monologuing, <laughs> and then a bunch of Capellan ladies, including Eliane. Mm. Uh, performance of the episode, Kim. Uh, I'm gonna give it to the actress who played Eliane. That would be Julie Same. Newmar. It was Julie Newmar. It was Julie Newmar. Yeah, guys. Fucking As I had in, no idea. Chuwafu, yeah. thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. So you know my favorite musical that I'm always going on about, um, Sorry. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Jesus. the best musical about Stockholm Syndrome ever made. <laughs> Julie Newmar is in that. Really? Yeah, she's one of the brides. And chorus of marriage. See, I mostly know her as the titular character in Chu Wang Fu, thanks for everything, Julie <laughs> Newmar, who never appears in the show, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I, I thought she gave a hell of a performance. She did. And she clearly was, this is one of those, you know, sometimes you have guest stars on shows that, like, are like, oh, I can't believe I'm being forced to do science fiction. She clearly was. She was great. She was great. She, she really, was like, took that on. Took ownership of that role. She, she was great. She was a great queen, basically. She was. She was a queen. Yeah. Uh, let's also give another moment of respect to all of the crazy ponytails bopping around on Vasquez Rocks in the 110 degree heat oh with oh all that fake fur. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Who is Ari's performance? I was going to say her too. Julie yes. Newmar. Yeah, she's amazing. I, I mean, once I realized it was fucking Julie Newmar while I was looking up the episode before we actually watched it, I'm like, oh, it's going to be Julie Newmar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, all hail. Yep. All hail. All hail. Oh, man. This episode was so good and so bad. Original Star Trek. Oh, like, like that. Yeah. Well, like I said, I did not remember what episode it was until the pregnant woman walked in the room and I'm like... <laughs> Oh, it's the one where she has a baby in the hills and she smacks McCoy. I was like, yes. I have forgotten about all the terrible misogyny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. I hope that kid, you know, learns something from his clearly awesome mother. Oh, they have an entire extended universe. He joined Starfleet. Yeah, I remember. What? They mentioned the tier at least twice in TNG. Really? Yeah. So we do hear about the Capellans again. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for them all. I'm glad things turned out for their people. Yeah. And that they finally got to the sky. 